welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Uh, coming at you a little morning edition. Um, I'm joined by a, a fellow ginger, um, court jester, and event manager at the Pabst uh, Theater Group. Um, he's been very busy lately, and uh, it's been a long time coming for us to finally uh, do this episode. But um, I'm excited to talk to him about music, about uh, his role, about the state of the world right now, and uh, all the crucial stuff. So, Grant Steskel. Yo, you you are welcome. It has been a long time coming, but I'm happy to be here, for sure. My friend, uh, how uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. I uh, um, am sort of keeping early hours these days because I spent years of my life keeping late hours. And so I've decided to reverse the trend a little bit. So I've been up, I got coffee. Um, I'm here to get, I'm ready to go. <laughs> How about you? Um, yeah, uh, for me, it's, um, I'm kind of in a really rough uh, pattern right now where I'm trying to be a mix of both. And that just doesn't work. You have to pick one. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you, you do, you do yeah. have to pick one. Like last night, I was up till two. Um, I was like getting an episode uploaded, and I was just like, I got, I, I was just binging Community last night. So um, I I was up late, but then I got up relatively early today. Yeah, I'm tired, man. I guzzle a lot of coffee. Yeah, yeah. It it really helps um, if uh, you're someone someone like myself and actually work part-time at a coffee shop now (laughs) dude that's yeah i used to work at starbucks and i used to like just down like a one of those like 20 ounce cold brews like every Uh morning like i i was just fueled by that shit yeah i feel like that'll blast you off that'll make your heart do one of yeah, but you kind of need that when you have to have like when you have to deal with a morning rush at eight a.m. You know. Yeah, or like six a.m. Because God knows uh, all these coffee people and trying to get through to their eight a.m. work shift are like, "Hello, I'm banging on the door. I'm ready to go." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're just like, "Can I help you, sir?" Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's actually that could be a good place to start. So you're uh, you've kind of helped um, open this new coffee shop, uh, is my understanding. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Yeah, so um, I uh, have a girlfriend who is awesome. Her name's Mary. Shout out. She is a barista by trade. Um, she's been doing it for eight or nine years, um, in all over the world. I mean, the, the U.S., I guess, in in California and in Florida and now here. Um, most recently, she was one of the barista trainers at Anodyne. And then um, when the coronavirus pandemic hit, um, her, her coffee pivot was uh, getting together with the folks who own Best Place at the Pabst Brewery up on Juneau and 9th. And opening a coffee shop uh, uh, over 4th of July weekend. So it's been like almost four months and they 
are um, attracting a steady stream of customers. There's a bluegrass jam that happens every week there from one to four on Saturdays. Nice. Um, inside when the weather determines it in the big great hall, but outside in the courtyard if, if, it's, if it's a thing. Um, they're open every single day. And that's crazy to open, to have the doors open every single day <clears throat> is a feat of uh, accomplishment and something I'm very proud of her for. Um, you know, she, uh, she blazed her own trail. This coffee shop is her little world, um, part of it anyway. And it's really interesting to see her make her mark on Milwaukee. Um, because that's, I think the most important part is that like the doors are open, people can come in and enjoy the space. Sure. Man, that's lovely to hear, dude. Um, for one, like, that's really sweet of you to say, to be like rooting for her so much in her endeavor. And, um, and yeah, like, yeah, it's like seven days a week in these times right now where we are in such a like public health and economic crisis. I mean, it can be, it's a, that's quite an undertaking, but good for them for pulling through and, you know, still fostering a, a climate of belonging and, and of caffeine, of course, yeah. <laughs> in these yeah. times. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see the, the, the way that they, they use the building too. Um, because it was a building that has several parts dating back to the 1850s and several parts dating back to the early 1900s. And at one point was the old um, Pabst administrative offices. So like there is a desk that was in, that's in the big window there that was Captain Pabst, um, his desk. And it's got, he's got his handwriting all over it. It says like paper clips or dimes or whatever in this ha beautiful handwriting. And so the energy there is wonderful, first of all. And second of all, they're refitting this old space into something that like, I think is really cool and gives a whole new generation of people um, access to really seeing a little bit of history when it comes down to it, really. And, you know, there are spirits, they do whistle and bang around. And uh, I say, we say hello to them every single morning. Very nice. <laughs> That's the, love that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's, uh, um, yeah, we actually marched past it. Um, the PSL had a march a couple of weeks ago and we went right past the best place. And I was like waiting to see like the long, uh, red hair. Yeah. Um, but you, I don't, you, uh, might've been inside, but, um, yeah, uh, it's in a, it's in a pretty happening uh, area in the city right, right now. I know that uh, Milwaukee Brewing Company is over there as well. Um, it looks uh, it looks like a fun place. I, I'd love to come check it out sometime. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the the neighborhood really needed um, like a coffee spot to sort of anchor that corner. There are like. Um, a lot of new apartment complexes that are that are happening over there as well as some that are going into like the brew house and the malting house um, back and refitting those old buildings into 
loft living or hotels. And, uh, you know, I see, I've seen pictures of what it all used to look like between when Pabst closed in 1994 in Milwaukee to now. And let me tell you what, the late 90s and early 2000s in that neighborhood were uh, not good, like bad, like construction fences everywhere, like think they're tearing down the buildings. We're going to, we're going to do something different with this totally whole thing. We energies at one point was going to build like a huge power plant over there. Um, the Zilber folks own a bunch of those buildings and they, you know, are equal parts great and also terrible for, um, building management. Yeah. And I say that with tongue in cheek because they, they also manage the Riverside building. Um, <laughs> they do a really great job. Like the actual, the people that manage buildings. Um, it's just the family, uh, was at one point very anti saving anything and very pro tearing it all down. And it took like the citizens of Milwaukee, for example, signing petitions and being outside of, in front of the Riverside to get him to save it. Yeah. And you know, Black Sabbath played the Riverside. I mean, like yeah. the talking heads played the Riverside. So it's like, when you have a building in question like that, it's like, dude, do you save it? Yes, probably, if you can. I mean, if it's not really falling down. Right, right. Like it's not dilapidated. Like it still has, it's still right. preserved and whatnot. And that's also what happened up at the best place. The owners of the business there, uh, Karen and Jim Hurdle, in on September 11th, 2001, signed a deal that was like, we're going to come up with $11 million to save these buildings. Of course, they didn't have $11 million, but they found people who did or had portions of it. And now the whole brewery complex is like this uh, interesting neighborhood of Milwaukee. And it's really crazy because even during the coronavirus, the cafe's customer base is still like, if I had a guess, like between a third and a half tourists. Oh yeah. And people who attended weddings in somewhere and people who are in town because someone they love lives here or, some, or something that they're doing is here. And to, to even think about that, where it's like, okay, there are still, there's still tourism happening. And to have that be like a, one of a significant base of a clientele at any business around there is, was unheard of mm, five years ago, probably. But now, now it's a nice part of the town. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there's a lot of cool spots popping up over there. Um, you know, I've, we did our breaking and entering presents shows at uh, the Paps Tap Room, which is now the Captain Pilot House, I believe. Yeah, the Pilot House. Yeah, and uh, that's a really cool new venue that uh, appeared in the last couple of years. Um, they have a really good neon. Yes, they do. I'm really uh, good neon. Yeah, I, that's a place I encourage groups to play if they get a chance. Uh, that's a cool spot for sure. So. I'd love to hear a little bit about the offerings that uh, are at the best place right now. Um, love to hear about, you know, some of the, 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 the feel you guys are going for. Yeah. Yeah. So um, 
it's like coffee, espresso, and tea. Um, so we they serve anodyne coffee um, on a beautiful La Marzocco machine that came from a church. So you can imagine it's like driving your grandma's 1985 Buick that only has 40,000 miles on it because all she did was drive around very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> this machine is beautiful. It's yeah. still, it's a rare find and uh, it pulls a really mean shot of espresso. Um, uh, <clears throat> but we all, there also is a full like liquor section and beer. You know, people come for the past. And they get the Pabst there. Very nice. Or get Bloody Marys or whatever. Yeah. Like I said, the Bluegrass Jam is happening. Um, a, a lot of the folks from um, up by the gig or like uh, the Millbillies guys or Chicken Wire Empire Boys. Oh, they yeah. Come up to this Bluegrass Jam. And it's definitely, uh, we, you know, I speak for Mary and myself when I'm, um, I say that it's inclusive for everyone. Yeah. Um, and if it's not, you know, that's not the jam. That's not a point of a jam. But at the same time, like you have like this pretty high level music musicianship going on in there. And yeah. it, uh, it's pretty interesting to see. And it's pretty awesome to see on a Saturday during the day, like people who have missed live music come down and be like, oh, this is cool this is something that I wanted to do today. Yeah. And so like, that's part of the philosophy is like to get the doors open to a place is, is hard during the coronavirus times, but it also, if done safely and responsibly can happen. Um, the Riverside is starting a month of ghost tours. You know, oh, so yeah, I saw that. I saw that. That is yeah. really awesome. For sure. So it's like straight up like mm, 11 tour times every night, 10 groups of people or 10 people per tour. Uh, it's all spaced out. Uh, you have to wear a mask, blah, 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 the whole nine yards. But it's like, okay, you're getting people in the door. And that's really, people are, people are looking for things to do. So if you put on your creative hat and you say, okay, well, I have a coffee shop space that could use some bluegrass during the afternoons on a Saturday or um, I have a space that could even hold a coffee shop that could be open every day or I have a history of spirits active spirits in the riverside for example and yeah. just be like hey you know maybe we should do something with this or at the Paps theater like go get your holiday picture taken with the giant Christmas tree. Like it's the little stuff like that. That's really kind of driving. I think the creativity in this town and in other places too. And it's also a really nice help for venues that need the money to not shut down, which yeah. is a huge thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wholeheartedly agree, Grant. Um, I think that, <clears throat> what's going on this year with the pandemic and with, um, you know, the political and social justice causes going on um, across the nation. Um, you know, I think that a lot of people sort of put recreation on the back burner, which, you know, I, I absolutely, um, I understand that. And that 
that's important right now. You know, we're focusing on like, you know, these urgent issues, but there is, with that said, you know, there is a dimension of like recreation that should still be retained in these times. You know, we all have to unwind. We need that release. We need to be able to have fun so that we can be our best selves when people are out in the streets or, you know, they're still having to go to work right now or they're, you know, struggling. Um, they're just like struggling to find uh, um, like meaning right now. And, right. and it, we're also seeing this, um, this surge of like um, utility like that like what's going on with the with the riverside like this surge in creative utility of you know finding uh unique ways to keep people stimulated or occupied or just finding um just different ways to different safe and responsible ways to interact with folks that are you know still eager to explore do something fun something new in the city and uh, something like the ghost tours is that sounds like uh one of the the premier ways to do it um i know that milwaukee is a very haunted city <laughs> yeah, it really is oh my god yeah man like there's there's a lot even over at uwm there are a lot of haunted uh um sectors of uwm that's for sure oh yeah yeah when i went there in like finished up my degree in like 2015, I believe. 20, yeah, 2015. There was a part of the library basement that I loved to be in. But also, things moved around over there yeah. in, in that part of the basement, all the way in the back by like the movies that you could check out. By the way, they still had VHSs that you could check out over there. That's like, good. okay, <laughs> cool, blockbuster time. That's dope. <laughs> um, especially at the Pabst and at the Riverside and at, even at the best place it's there's there's got there's some wild energy around downtown Milwaukee it's pretty wild oh yeah have you heard about um shakers yeah shakers as well I've never actually been on one of those tours at all same yeah go. but dude if uh if someone told me as an out-of-town person like hey you should go to shakers um, they, that's where Dahmer picked up all of his victims. I'd be like, okay, I'm in. Yeah. There now. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I actually interviewed someone on the show recently who did like, she was a tarot reader and she did like, uh, she did like a seance there. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, there were like, people died there. Like those are, um, that's that place has been on tv uh i haven't been there myself um i part of me gets a little uh nervous with that kind of stuff but at the same time like um i think uh this has been a year we are starting to conquer some of that instilled fear so i would love to i would love to go to shaker sometime to experience yeah. it yeah yeah and i mean um for me personally, there was sort of like a hazing period when it came down to the riverside. When oh, I yeah. started there, there, like the sounds and the smells were interesting. Oh, the yeah. whole place smells like a big cigar, first of all, but mm -hmm. not like only in certain spots. Yeah. So, like, there's a corner of the basement that's not accessible to the public, 
that really has a bunch of old school like machinery and parts and whatever and it smells heavy of cigar smoke all the time all the time mm. on the fourth floor up there it's very heavy women's old school women's perfume like very old it's like um almost like a musty nasty perfume scent that's been out in the air too long and that's what it smells like up there yeah. and the sounds you know the sounds and the sights are crazy um it's wild and like there was a period of time where i noticed it more than i do now and the history of that building is crazy i mean the the balustraries owned it for a while you know has like a movie hall but in reality what kind of movies were you talking about yeah yeah um yeah <laughs> exactly yeah. and and by the way uh the original fire the original curtain like the whole stage was set set on fire in the 60s at some point and they had this huge beautiful like um uh turquoise green front curtain and that is gone now but it was installed there from like a different place so it came to the riverside from somewhere else installed in the 20s and then burned all the way up in the 60s and now the inside of that theater is red and gold two colors red and gold beautiful first of all still very beautiful but can you imagine red gold and like a teal just the one accent of teal it, it i can't imagine i would think it would be awesome and you can see like some of that sort of greenness on like the entryways and on like the the places where like maybe they they wanted to throw that accent into the main corridors and whatever but to have the whole curtain be green that's nuts and it that and to have it burned down that's the only thing that got destroyed things we didn't know about one of our uh, favorite milwaukee music venues yeah <laughs> yeah organ there it's a Wurlitzer. It's from the 20s. It works. The Organ Society of Wisconsin takes it out and plays it eventually a couple times a year. Damn. Yep. Wow, that's that's pretty dope. I I'm gonna check some of this stuff out, man. Behind uh, behind the box seats on the left side, from yeah. the stage, there's a mean, set of organ pipes, and behind the Lincoln seats on the right side, there's another whole set of organ pipes, and in the second floor dressing room, there's a door that has all the auxiliary instruments in there. So like you're talking about mechanical drums when you hit something on the on the on the Wurlitzer itself. It it'll do that. Speaking of which, I was fortunate enough to uh make it up to those box seats on the left side in Riverside for King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah. Uh with our good friends Parker and Kit. Um shout out to those guys. Um Mitchell and Jessica were there too, but that was, man, we, we struck gold with that show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's really crazy. It's, it's a testament to the music scene around here in Milwaukee that you have a band of King Gizzard's caliber playing in Milwaukee itself and coming back because, uh, you know, we've done the, their show a couple times, most yeah. notably at the Pabst in 2018 and then the Riverside in 2019. And, you know, 
they they were thinking two nights this year. Oh yeah, I do remember this conversation. Yeah, yeah, of course that didn't that didn't happen. But maybe two nights next year. So to grow a band, that's the trajectory of this of this city's music scene is to grow a band from like basically nothing to playing the Riverside is crazy, and to have it happen in such a short amount of time for the Gizzard Boys, that's crazy too. The 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 most wild transition for me personally was do you know who tyler childers is he's a country musician from i i haven't listened to him but i know the name tyler childers first of all um if you're into actual country music it's good really good second of all the dude is like super outspoken on social issues and he's like he's like putting it in perspective of his fans so it's like he's got this quote that's basically like what if y'all went fishing right and one of you guys didn't have your fishing license um to fish in our great state of kentucky in our in the in the natural wildlife areas and you got busted without your fishing license and by the way instead of getting busted and like slapped on the wrist and having a small fine you got shot and killed by the police who were only there because you didn't have your fishing license. Yeah, I actually, I did see this. I did see people sharing his video. He, uh, he's, he's outspoken and he played the back room at Collectivo in 2016. Then he played the Riverside as, at his next tour stop in Milwaukee in 2019. That is awesome. And you chart that trajectory because for me personally in this, in, in this world, I was house managing and doing some of that Colectivo stuff in 2016. We did like a hundred something shows and I was there for most of them. And to then start managing at a higher, had a higher, um, uh, like power. I don't know what to say really, uh, start for our two, both of our trajectories to grow so that I was also managing personnel at the Riverside show that night in 2019 as he was playing on stage to like a sold out crowd. That's nuts. That's, that's crazy. Like the, the trajectory is real. It happens over time. Oh yeah, man. Totally. I even, I mean, Arcade Fire played Mad Planet in like 2005 yeah. and yeah. then Death Cab for Cutie played Cactus Club. Yeah. In, like, I think it was Queens of the Stone Age also played Cactus Club. I, man, like, Cactus has had some some real amazing trajectory, and it's in that small room. Jack White uh, played there, the White Stripes. Yes, uh, Interpol played there. Yeah, no. um, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about all this, Grant, but I want to um, I want to go chronological. So, Grant, what we talk about in Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity, yeah. and the first time we ever met. I believe was kind of through, I would say through kind of mutual friends, you know, we, mm -hmm. I knew you worked at the Pabst and uh, like we met the, our friends uh, like Parker and Kitten, those guys. Uh, I've known those guys for a long time and um, they've been uh, some of my like biggest like um, music buddies uh, yeah. over the years. And, um, yeah. but I would also like, I knew who you were. I would always see you like, out at the bar like at landmark or something like i'd see you um 
you know, um, you'll, it's all, like mentioned the, the striking hair, you know, yeah. I, I know it was you like instantly, but we kind of met through that, um, through that serendipity. But yeah, um, you are originally from Minnesota, yeah? Uh, at the suburbs of Chicago. Oh, oh, okay. Which one? Batavia. Oh shit! My um, my mom works for the College of DuPage, actually. Dang, they are very close. Yeah, I'm hey. I'm from the South suburbs. Oh, word! My parents have a uh, house that was built in 1871 in Batavia, in downtown. Whoa. And they recently constructed a whole new part of the basement to keep it up to code, and that's a whole wild wow. story. Yeah. But I grew up mostly in that house, and uh, in fifth grade, my mom was like, you need to join band, or orchestra, or choir, one of the three. That's it. You play sports. You know, I was playing soccer and hockey, but you need to join the band, or, or orchestra. Sure. And so I did. I joined the band, and... <laughs> played the baritone, the euphonium, oh, yes. in middle school. And then in high school, picked up the tuba as well and started playing marching band tuba and jazz band tuba, like Dixieland band tuba. And there's a really great picture of uh, high school grand. I'm finding it for you, just so you know. Amazing. Um, uh, playing the tuba in um, like the Jewel Osco. It was like the grand opening of the new Jewel Osco. And that's such an Illinois thing, by the way, the yeah. Jewel Osco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, um, you know, I, uh, from, a, from a very early age in high school, was like, oh, I'm into music. Music will take me places. You know, and that's just uh, that's just the way that that kind of started. Um, the realization that like music is a thing that will transport uh, life and like connect people started for me in high school when I started to be like, oh, um, there are various opportunities that I would not have gotten had I not done this. Yeah, totally. And um, it transitioned through into college when I did go to Minnesota for a while and played in the marching band. Oh. And there's a couple good pictures of that too, <laughs> including but not limited to the one where uh, I had to um, tuck my hair up. So in marching band, right, everyone's supposed to look very similar, right? Yeah. And for me, um, this was a problem because you can't have hair past your shoulders. Now, for most people, you could put it, pull it back, tie it up, and put a hat on over it. But the sousaphone players, they don't. You don't get hats. You get these little tiny berets if you need, if you want. And my hair was always falling out. It was always falling out, and my I would get in trouble all the time. So, there's a really unique situation that I'm about to show you that happened with two of us on the sousaphone team that um, that we had to uh, throw our hair into cornrows. 
Oh, wow. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep. Damn. In order, for it, in order for us to be able to march on the field. Because, yeah. Damn. Not, my, not my best look. I'm going to tell you that right now. And uh, I'm fully aware of, like, the connotations. Um, because, you know, my hair doesn't normally braid like that. Right, yeah. Uh, but out of necessity's sake, it was, a, it, it, it was a look. Let's just put it that way. It was a look. And it was, it was something that, like, um, <laughs> ended up being, like, a fun little thing to do. Anyway... Uh, started to realize that music takes you places, you know, being involved in a band such as the University of Minnesota marching band takes you to um, different football fields around mm -hmm. the country and takes you to doing 500 hours of marching band uh, in the fall semester while you're still trying to go to school. Mm -hmm. And it takes you to a bowl game or two in the winter time. And it takes you to also doing hockey pep band and going through all that stuff. And when uh, people played TCF Bank Stadium, like um, atmosphere, it takes you to being the backup musicians for, for a, a concert like that one. So That's it's like, awesome. it's really interesting to see that and I, I have so many friends out there in the world that I'm very proud of that have continued that trajectory over time. Um, my good friend Javier is in the band Post Animal. Uh, oh, Chicago. But he, I, I first saw him playing in this little group called Dolores out of Madison in um, like at Linneman's, right? Wow. And so now, now you have, now you have him playing in post anim. You have him playing in that band Joe with Joe Curie from Stranger Things. You have these collaborations going on with like the Twin Peaks boys, who are also very good friends of mine, especially Katie. And um, he is, he's the real deal, and oh, yeah. he's uh, somebody who uses his platform not only for music, but for um, social politics and uh, uh, making sure that everyone is registered to vote. Certainly, yeah. Which is something that is really awesome. Actually, yeah, like my, uh, my some of my buddies from high school um, were in, they played in garage rock bands in high school. So they, they know the Twin Peaks boys. Mm -hmm. um, they're supposedly really, really awesome guys and it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. And for me to get to know Kadian on a music level was very important in, when I lived in Rogers Park, but also to get to know him as like a, a person who, uh, um, you know, we had ties to the same cafe. I worked at the Heartland Cafe in um, Chicago when I lived, when I moved, when I moved back from Minnesota and I quit school, which was like, one of the better decisions that I've mm -hmm. ever made because I kind of ran out of ambition and money. Um, that happens. Moved back to Chicago, got a place in Rogers Park, and um, 
the Heartland Cafe is like the, um, it's kind of like beans and barley. In fact, the first head chef at the Heartland ended up leaving the Heartland in the early 80s to, um, to found beans and barley. Oh, wow. Interesting. So you've got, you know, in at the Heartland, you had brown rice and black beans and miso soup and seaweed something or other. And um, like a long list of craft beers before that was cool and like responsible coffee and like bison meat instead of buffalo or not not instead of instead of um beef and like you know farm yeah. this and but they did it like super unprint uh, like they did it just because it's food for your mind and food for your body and food for your soul out of a reason of like we need to make sure that what we're putting into ourselves is um, is fueling us for the things that we want to do, and and making it so we can do that. So it was a really interesting little neighborhood, <laughs> and yeah. I my aunt lives there actually. Yeah. Um, big uh, big Jewish population up there. Yes. Big, um, big Jewish, the second most diverse zip code in the whole country. Did is, not know that is six oh six two six, and the only I think the one that beats them is Jamaica Queens. Oh wow! Yeah, damn. So you have in Rogers Park, you'll have the Loyola kids. You know, you'll have a very big Indian and Pakistani population, all the way down to Vaughn Avenue. Um, you'll have the old Orthodox Jews that are wild, like whoa. Six or seven oh, yeah. dogs lining the street. It's a different world for sure. They had, Jew they had Jewish holidays off at yeah. public schools. Yeah. Um, Which should be a thing everywhere. That should be yeah. a thing everywhere. Kosher Jewel. That was a thing. Kosher Jewel. Yeah. Kosher right. Jewel. Yeah. Jewel yeah. again. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, whole, the whole place was kosher. All of it. Yeah. And um, sprinkled in there, you had people from every, every, like every country probably lives, somebody lives in Rogers Park, like very big Caribbean and West Indies population, a very big, um, uh, Iraqi and Syrian population, a very big old hippie population. <laughs> yeah, that is quite a melting pot there. Latin, that's, yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm sure that would be a really awesome um that'd be an awesome outing to like explore the different food options down there oh yeah you should definitely take it take a dive um, you, yeah, it sounds and, like yeah all you gotta do is really just sort of walk around and walk pop pop into places and you you can get indian street food at two in the morning and you can get uh burritos as big as your head from el famous burrito um at whatever time you want and that, that sounds wholesome that yeah sounds very wholesome being a vegetarian in that neighborhood is easy <laughs> awesome hell yeah yeah so, I, no i am that's me I'm oh a, yeah i'm an herbivore very nice hey that's um i i dig that a lot um i haven't really spent much time there other than visiting my aunt every couple of years so maybe i'll just be there for fun on my own yeah. accord it sounds great yeah rogers park was a place that i learned a lot about myself <laughs> yeah i'm sure you do yeah, yeah. especially with 
with so many different um you know um avenues of like different people yeah i'm sure that becomes that it was good it was bad and it was all in between and that's that's something like everybody probably has a a connection with some place because of the great things that they've learned about themselves and also the terrible things that yeah you learn you learn how to culturally hold yourself accountable Mm -hmm. which is a can be hard when you live in like you know if you grew up in like the suburbs where you know you're in a pretty well-off community or something like that like and you don't have that much exposure to like you know folks of different classes of different ethnic backgrounds of different you know religions yeah um yeah it's that's why i mean there's there's total merit to having that experience because you grow and learn as a person out of it for sure Mm -hmm. definitely definitely and it was a part where it was kind of like there wasn't much direction for me personally and i'm not you know not saying that that's a good thing i'm just saying that that was a thing and i kind of made my own little path um and again tying it all back into music uh and like the arts you know that that stuff that stuff kind of saved uh the creative side of me in rogers park i started audio engineering for a an npr morning show called live from the heartland it was from the cafe and it was um you know everybody from uh local artists musicians djs uh people in local state and national government um barack obama was on the show uh jan Schakowsky, the illinois 14th congresswoman she was she was on the show the aldermen and older women of Chicago were on the show. Chewy Garcia, who was running for mayor against Rahm Emanuel, was on the show. Um, a really, like Tom Dart, the sheriff of Cook County, he was on the show. Uh, it was just a really, really interesting little hour of time that I spent on Saturday mornings, like checking the microphones for those kinds of folks and hearing what they had to say. And I would never, I would have never listened otherwise. I'm not like, I like, I don't mind NPR, but it's like, I would have never listened to any of that otherwise. And to, to see it live and to be part of it, that was like little artist action. And then also, you know, that gives you some radio cred. So then the radio station was like, oh, do you want to like do a little DJ program and that's how I kind of got started in radio too. Not like I've ever had a paying job in radio. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Sure. But I I substitute DJ on WMSE now. And it's fun to take people's themes and put my own spin on them. Um, and hopefully at some point, like there will be there will be some sort of uh, weekly thing for for the creative mind, like the creative mind to do a weekly thing, which is, would be cool. But now I'm substituting for Robert G and his reggae Thursday night reggae show. And I'm substituting for Dewey and his sixties rock and roll show. And I'm substituting for like, uh, 
faux eyes and his like wild um sort of minimalist electronic show and how fun you know uh juliet for and her world music mondays program is awesome yeah. sub for you are a um sounds like you're very well tailored for all these different uh calibers of shows um i mean that's you're a music guy so you got to be well-rounded in that way for sure yeah and it's just fun to it's fun to be challenged yeah definitely no i don't really know anything about um metal like i'm not super big into metal but there is a metal show that needed covering and i was like can do or i will i'll do it <laughs> i'll figure it out i had no idea you have an open mind right yeah. or like i don't know uh the the friday morning country rockabilly show fun very cool to do yeah um, that's a fun one so to yeah challenged in that way so cool <laughs> Oh yeah, um, totally. Um, I I've found that like from personal experience, like I was never really into metal either. But you kind of just have to find like the the flavor of metal that suits you. Um, yeah. Like I'm not like like I don't really I'm not super into like death metal as much. But like I like like doom and drone metal, like the yeah. the really like slower and more drawn out metal. Um, I like that kind of stuff more. Yeah, and I also love, for me, it's uh, like uh, almost psych metal or stoner metal, if you really want to call it that. Like yeah. the band Sleep. Love Sleep. Or Sleep. the band right. Manchu. Or uh, like even, even some of like the Gizzard stuff is yeah. pretty metally. And like Uncle Acid and the Dead Beats. And like Frankie and the Witch Fingers gets a little metally sometimes. So it's like, um, maybe you haven't, maybe it's like not your favorite genre, but man, there are elements to it all over the place. Plus, and I'll tell you one thing, the 80s Metallica, uh, you know, super like double bassy, those records, those records slay. They're good. Of course, yeah, absolutely. I... Yeah, Metallica is one that, even if you're not super inclined to metal, like you will very much like appreciate and immerse yourself in just how fantastic it is. Like, I mean, that stuff, that stuff is just so gargantuan, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something that is, uh, so many people take inspiration from and that's that's cool so so what brought you um what brought you up to milwaukee then uh school first i re-enrolled um at uw milwaukee and finished up a policy poli sci degree <laughs> um and that was interesting to do before what I would say our current political climate is because mm-hmm. I started there five years ago. This is my fifth year living here. And so it was really interesting to do it 
sort of before the whole like Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton thing and the whole like, oh, we've got four years of wildness going on and blah, blah, blah. So to kind of be able to figure to sort of like focus on like not that stuff um, and more of like what poli-sci actually means, which for me, I think is really interesting because my brain is like very, on the one hand, very scientifically motivated, but on the other hand, very feelings motivated. And to be in a place that's like, oh, you're gonna wanna know both of those things because in reality, you're, you're, you're quantifying feelings. That's what politics is really. And that's what poli-sci is. That's a good point. And I'm glad you made like um, a point of that because I think about that all the time. Like us being in this constant um, tug of war between emotion and reason. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, like you said, I mean, politics often can become like devoid of one or the other. Whereas really like, you have to like kick both into full gear as much as you can. I mean, like, yes, it's important to, like you have to vote and, and, and uh, stand with emotion because not having empathy for other people is a very selfish way to vote and be right. politically active. But you also have to be pragmatic about it. You know, it can't, it can't be entirely idealistic, you know? Right. Yeah. And we're seeing, I think, quickly we're on that we're seeing a lot of people who not aren't necessarily on the trump train um but in like conservative ways maybe fiscally conservative starting to vote for a person like joe biden maybe or a person like um on a local or state level like a, a tony evers type situation because i think it's really interesting that like in the United States, there's been a trend that, um, for me at least, when I look at it, the, the trend is the pendulum swings back and forth over time. And, uh, you know, it swung to the left a little bit in the Obama years, and it swung to the right in the George W. Bush years, and it swung back to the left in the Clinton years, you know. Um, and some people are more effective at when they're when their policies are in power, they're more effective at getting that stuff done. Like Ronald Reagan, very effective. Richard Nixon, not so effective. But that was the same type of conservative politics. Right. Both playing. Whereas LBJ, very effective when it came to like the Great Society in the 60s, except for then the war derailed him and whatever. But then Jimmy Carter took it back up. And then you can argue that Obama took it back up again to make sort of like the domestic policy better here in things like healthcare and social services. And, uh, you know, in Carter's case, the environment, I mean, there was no EPA yeah. until then. Like that's nuts. It was also like the first president to, to somewhat recognize Palestine. Yeah. Which is um, crazy too. Like, yeah, like, hello. I know, like, he's maybe we should have empathy for 
of people who, you know, had a country basically placed over them and they were kicked out and now they're like in refugee camps. Like he was one of the first people to like recognize that. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of of the, I'm, I'm at this point being a Marxist Leninist, like I'm kind of at the, in the, in the mentality that they're from, you know, modern, I guess from modern critique, like I don't really support the position of presidency in electoral politics necessarily. Like I, it's an inherently flawed system that only works for the ruling class. However, it is important to like make critiques of like what the social climate was at the time and how not much revolutionary, but at least more progressive tendencies get introduced in, you know, like when they first become like mainstream acceptable, mm -hmm. it's, it's important to analyze those things and understand like, you know, when conversations really did truly change on a large scale and what presidents right. helped champion that. I mean, that is still important to recognize for sure. And it's also important to recognize um, when national politics did change in a certain uh, demographic or a certain uh, topic, even if the president was sort of like against that particular idea, it's really important to recognize that too. Roe versus Wade, for example, was a Nixon era policy. Did Richard Nixon love Roe versus Wade? No, dude. <laughs> of course he did not. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the fact that he did not meant that it, it, it became a law a different way. And one might, uh, one might argue that that's a more fair way to create what is like a woman's right to choose about what happens with her body. This whole like legalization of um, things like uh, gay marriage or marijuana law even, yeah. to recognize the fact that some of these governors and politicians and people in power were not on board with any of that. Right. And that, that it happened legis legislatively, that's almost more powerful than if the president is into that because that's really the will of the people and in, in marijuana laws especially around the country there are some that are inherently flawed like they're inherently like like california's is bad you they were one of the first but they're bad like that they're like handing out really expensive permits to grow marijuana to then sell it in dispensaries. They're, they're taking what is like a, somebody's livelihood and has been for years and being like, sorry, you can't afford the permit. So you can't grow weed anymore. And by the way, we're gonna torch your crop. Yeah, what? Like that's, it, it once again becomes commodified. Right? And it becomes, yeah, and it becomes exploited labor and land ownership based on these like, and the means of production and all that stuff. Like, capitalism swallows the marijuana industry whole in that way. And that's no way to, like, that's not true, like, um, Yeah, and California didn't, didn't do any of that, like, backdated uh, letting people out of jail either. Yeah, like right. Illinois, it, Illinois let people out of jail. Illinois expunged 700,000 people's marijuana convictions. Right. 
including, it's like, including what? Including mine. Oh, but that's okay. Congrats. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's but that's the thing. It's like if that's not part of the conversation too, where you're expunging records of these, you know, petty um, weed charges, then you yeah. are inherently like, you know, it's you you can't you can't like um, promote legalization if we're not w- willing to honor you know, the, honor really. The, yeah, backpedal on all backpedal on all those wronged by such right and by such yeah. offenses. And it's the same thing with um, like gay marriage. Like you can't just start allowing gay marriage. You have to look at the history and be like, these people struggled. These specific like groups of folks, they struggled for this for years and years and years. And people like I don't know. Uh, Harvey Milk, for example, in San Francisco, who was in flawed in other ways, but was a champion for people's, basically people's right to be happy. Yeah, yeah, I mean. And if you're really thinking about where a government finds its best uh, policy, it's making sure that people are taken care of in two separate ways. Number one, your physical needs water, food, electricity, I dare say the internet nowadays, yeah. um, heat in the wintertime and, and cold in the summertime, or at least a place to go that has those things. Yeah. And your mental state, things like, you know, affordable health care. Like, that's a huge blessing for people who are like, I don't know how to do that, or I don't know, like, my job. I can't job. afford a therapist. Right. I can't afford medication. I can't afford these procedures. You know, like, yeah, that's that's the difference that's between you, death. That, yeah, that's where you get your best public policy from. Is yeah. Those two areas. Is that how you know Bobby? Is that's that how you guys? Bobby. Yeah. Shout out to Bobby. Yeah. That I know Bobby. We went to school together. Yeah. And, um. I, you know, uh, he's great. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. And his, his politics are great. And um, the way that he's rolling his theories into reality over there at Collectivo is great. Yes. You know, yeah. um, we recently just had a, like, there's been a lot of union talk in stagehands worlds and also in cafe worlds in yeah. ser- the service industry in general and how to do that responsibly and safely and i think some of them work a lot some of them don't the fact that that the Pfizer forum is uh, a union house is is great you know um that makes sure that they're that everyone gets paid a fair wage and the fact that, you know, some other places in towns like that are not is they're like, that's, a, that's a choice that they have. And to see, to see even the choice come up in like a place like Colectivo is really interesting because, you know, it's hard to it's like such a wild issue. Like on the one hand, it's like, yeah, okay. 
social service industry workers need unionization. You know, they're the most exploited of them all. Of course. But on the other hand, it's like you might be locked into your one job there then. You won't be able to uh like move around. If you're a production person, you can't take a barista shift or a cafe shift. Yeah. Or 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 anything like that. So movement within the workplace then yeah so you're so you're compromising like i want to be heard my demands and like our collective ways that we want to move forward as a as a as a worker like as a working populace in your in your company you want to be heard in that regard and that's that's a fair thing to ask for but then with the, when you when you really think about it there's also like a rigidity that comes in with the union and like we had that problem at the riverside as well it's like on the one hand you know production folks and stagehands and laborers should be able to have their concerns met mm-hmm. yeah of course but on the other hand you know um you get locked into this hierarchy and some hierarchies are bad like you know some hierarchies are like you you were the main production person at x theater in chicago and now now you're on the bottom of the shit list again so it's all it's all a matter of perspective, I think, when it comes to that kind of stuff. And it's all it's so like case by case. Well, that's we'll leave it at this. But I I would say that um, that's sort of and Bobby would agree with this. But yeah, that's the the whole concept of dialectical materialism is yeah. like yeah. very well applied to these situations where like. When it becomes a means of like power and access to materials to like you know sustain your needs and whatnot versus those that don't have it is what leads to these conflicts both in the workplace in politics in society in social circles in world affairs like from every level it's that concept alone will make you it will reshape your entire universe so But the the biggest thing that I have to say is uh, think both rationally and with with your emotions. Yes, I agree. That's that's really what you have to do in all things politic. Yeah, like you have to make plans. You have to you have to you have to make short term and long term goals. Yeah, and think about think about those things in a way that isn't like totally off the rails, like the. <clears throat> like a great ex- a great example of totally off the rails is like the journal sentinels comments page on facebook on whatever they post oh yeah it's off the rails it's like people are like you're so crazy it's terrible i hope you die that's too <laughs> right but too that's... rational is also a problem too rational is like hey like, you are not taking into consideration anyone else's feelings right no. exactly like you can't just be completely like devoid of um, of any empathy for those that might be adversely affected by 
a change in policy or yeah. you know a shift in leadership or something like that right. um how did you uh tell me about how you got involved with um the past uh love to hear that story yeah i, I cold called him <laughs> nice that's that is a power move um, yeah i i did i i was looking you know i looked around for jobs when i got up here um and one of one of the jobs that i held when i first showed up here was bus driver wow yeah for uw milwaukee oh yeah yeah sure driving those school buses around in circles every day and that was a great job because I listened to my own music and met people and it was fine, but well paid, but also, um, it was not like, that's not doing it for me, like creative wise. So I sort of cold called the paps and I'm like, look, I heard you're hiring event staffers. I think I'd be good at it. Can we sit down for an interview at some point? And they're like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Bring a resume okay cool so i go in and we have this sweet meeting and we talk and then it didn't happen for a while and that's like whatever it's very cool but then it did suddenly finally click into gear and and um like that first the first couple weeks of my employment at the paps theater group was like widespread panic at the riverside and oh, then yeah. uh um, like a couple comedians and then New Year's happened and then suddenly we were off to the races, you know, and suddenly when I, when I got done with the poli sci stuff at school, I was like, mm, not really into that so much as music. And I think I'd like to continue trying to build a career here at the Pepsi theater group, which took a while. And, but it was really interesting. They gave me a chance to sort of define what the back room at Collectivo sort of felt like over time. Um, they started doing shows there very late in 2015. Mm -hmm. Like there may have there may have been four or five shows all year in 2015 there. I remember that, yeah. And then it suddenly in 2016 it's like, okay, this is viable. You yeah. know, this makes sense. It makes sense for some of our shows not to be a Turner Hall because Turner Hall is huge. It's, it feels so big when there's 100 people there. Yeah. It feels so small when there's 900 people there. <laughs> yeah. um, it feels yeah. very big when it's just 100. And so some of those shows started to move over to the back room, and I started to move over to the back room uh, in a more managerial capacity um, and sort of got to experience what it's like to define procedures um at a music venue i mean in reality and 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 maintain a relationship because the collectivo folks that are in the full-time office over there are strong-minded and strong-willed and strong opinionated and they are and the paps theater group folks are the same way and to have the two meet in the middle at this venue where it's like this is both like probably the coolest thing that we both get to do and to have these like beautiful shows and like with the power of the Paps theater group booking department, it's like, you are actually seeing 
you know, the future of rock and roll or the future of indie music or like comedians or like people that are on a national level, but you're seeing them in a coffee shop in the back room of a coffee shop where you can get beer on one side and coffee on the other. <laughs> That's the what's there not to like? <laughs> yeah. Right. We just need to have free bacon Wednesdays and we'll all be good. I'm just yeah. Hey, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about going emotion and reason. Beer uh, is the emotion. Coffee is the reason. <laughs> That's, um, yeah, it's revolutionary. Yeah. But um, Milwaukee didn't necessarily have a space in at least the current times that was all ages, right? Yeah. And booking local, state, and national acts and having the power of the partnership to bring that onto a stage all year round not just in the summertime outside and, you know, not in the back room of a bar. And I, I totally love Cactus Club. Trust me. Shout out to Kelsey. Shout out to Kelsey, dude. Yes. He's one yes. of my favorite people in the whole world, man. Most but it's hard to, it's hard to have a, it's hard to have a music scene in a city where there's no under it, uh, all ages venues. But, however, that being said, also shout out to Andy over at X-Ray Arcade. Yes. Because X-Ray Arcade, although I know they are doing their best right now in quarantine and everything, um, they became the all-ages venue and booked some really dope shows. Yeah, Titus Andronicus there was good. Oh, man, yeah, I missed that one. I was going to go see Foxing. Uh, oh, that would have been cool. I missed that one. Yeah, but I did get to see a yacht with um, oh, cool. juice box. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was a cool show. Yeah, and like it takes a village, it really does. So, the fact that you know, Cactus Club is becoming more friendly to eighteen plus shows and also all ages shows at a certain point, yeah. and the X Ray Arcade is doing those all ages shows. The Riverside and Paps and Turner have been all ages for forever. Um, the backroom at Collectivo is an all-ages venue. All of these things are um, working in tandem. They are. They're uh, they're they're working in tandem and being like sort of a breath of fresh air to um, what is a city's music scene. Because in reality, you can hear music as if you're underage, under eighteen, right? You can hear music about three months out of the year and they're the summer months and they're at local festivals in, in, a, in an average year, right? And you can pony up like $45 to go to a show that is like Tyler Childers or King Gizzard or um, some of the Eagles ballroom shows, you know? But in reality, what this place needs is like a $10 ticket show where it's like, it's a band and they're a national band and they're on tour and we're supporting them by um, having their first stop in this city be uh, the Cactus Club, right? Having their first stop in this city ever being the X-Ray Arcade, having their first stop in this city ever being the back room, 
and, and the hospitality that comes with those places and doing it better than other cities. Time after time again, we would get compliments over at the back room like we were just in a black box theater. They served us McDonald's for dinner. They actually didn't even serve us. They just gave us money and told us there was a McDonald's on the corner, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or, there, or there was like a bunch of greasy old pizza and that's what it was. But to walk into a venue that's got plants on the wall, right? And a skylight or two and a, and a, a Midas 32 channel board and where none of the channels are blown out and it's a digital board so you can save your scenes and you have point and shoot lighting. The lighting is the worst part, it's point and shoot. But to have professional lighting <laughs> and a backstage area that has a couch and is comfy and we listen to your writer, you know? Yeah. It's totally, uh, you're in the business of making relationships. That's what it is. Yeah, and that's exactly why um, that's why widespread panic is such a big thing. I mean, they love they yep. fucking love playing here, and it becomes this entire like um, like this whole like um, annual excursion for so many people, right? Which is spectacular because and um, and. I'm, referencing uh kit and parker when they're on the show last year like talking about that about how like they keep coming back because they're taken care of better here than in any other city yeah and that's what it really is is that when you have a music scene in this town that is both parts um uh free and explorative and people come to shows that they don't even really know about like who is this but we're in the neighborhood so it's cool and to have then the artists come back and say, look, man, like we really appreciate the, the time and effort you put into hosting us. Yeah. I mean, it's a win-win situation. And they go in the back room's case specifically, they go home with coffee. Right. Yeah. Oh, and and yeah, what else? But they go home with coffee. Yeah, they... They get their uh, morning brew uh, all set up for that next week, and it's local Milwaukee right. coffee. Yeah. And so, and so when you have members of the scene working together like that, it's really a good partnership to then offer that kind of caliber service to people who, um, again, have never stepped foot in Milwaukee. And um, if we didn't blow their socks off, even at a very tiny level, would never step foot again in Milwaukee because you could play Chicago every day. Yeah. You can make money in that town. Like uh, playing, playing Chicago is like basically printing money. Yeah. People in Chicago land that will, that your show will, will happen and will be successful probably. Totally. I mean, and absolutely. Just skip Milwaukee. Yeah. Cause Milwaukee, I mean, we see it skipped constantly on tours and and it's it is i mean it's not totally out of the way of like the major circuit but it is a bit of a detour you know it's like specifically between the twin cities and chicago but 
it's still like a reputable um, city to play in for a scene that will show up that does have that still like has you know an immersive metropolitan feel and uh, yeah like you'll be you'll have opportunities to be in these ornate venues that will listen to you and uh, yeah treat you with utmost hospitality invite you back and uh, you also just um you know there's plenty to do here during the day too like both you know before and after your show so like it's um yeah i um it it does uh, become a bit of uh, painful to watch like some of your favorite artists like just overlook Milwaukee very easily and you have to go trek to chicago or the twin cities or um you know maybe you're lucky if like you'll they'll be in madison maybe but yeah you um you do get uh very disgruntled by that that circuit culture um with a lot of bands but to give them reasons to come here i mean that's that's what we're at the end of the day like that's what we shoot for yeah and and i think this is very important to realize a lot of the cities around us have um music scenes that have or theaters that have been that are being produced by uh live nation or AEG or one of those other big, huge touring companies where it's very easy for them to slot tours into all the cities that they have venues in. For example, I could sign on with AEG right now and I'd, you'd have venues in the, on the West Coast in uh, Portland and Seattle and San Francisco and um, Los Angeles and Denver and then Minneapolis and then Madison, and then Chicago, and then Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and New York City. And that's a tour right there. Like, that's it. That's a tour. Like, that's a nationwide tour. And to sign on with AEG and do that, for some bands, it's very easy to just do that instead of doing their own thing. And to have those ADG bands still make a requirement to stop in Milwaukee um, and play a place like the Pabst or the Riverside is a testament to how strong that independent venue mentality can be. It's really, it's really important to realize that like, that's not the easy way. The easy way is to, to have the touring, your touring company, your booking company that you contract with as a band it's very easy for you to just be like, give me some dates during between this time and this time and it, let it be like the continental US. And they'll, they'll come back and they'll be like, okay, we've got the dates. And we're, they're in all of our halls across the nation. But when people, again, people come back and they're like, well, we wanna play Milwaukee too, we wanna we want play the Pabst or we want to play Turner Hall or the Riverside, or we want to play, uh, you know, to not have a very huge presence by AEG or Live Nation in this town is very important because then we can co-promote shows with them to bring, the, to bring artists that we know that the Milwaukee fan base will like 
to the spaces that seem most appropriate. And to do that responsibly is like something that's really cool. And to do it independently is also very cool. Right now in the world, it's very hard to be an independent venue, right? And there's local and state and national organizations right now because of the coronavirus. Like for example, the National Independent Venue Association, NEVA for short, they are a group of people who encompass all these huge independent venues across the entire country that are like, hey, we need funding because otherwise like we, we can't really do what I, what we do best. And the Pabst Theater Group uh, is very actively involved in that organization as well as like First Ave in Minneapolis and uh, a bunch of other places um, around the country to like have the state and national governments really try to support the local stages that they have in their, their states and, and country. Otherwise, who knows what'll happen? Like I'm wearing a shirt right now that's the Triple Rock Social Club in Minneapolis. That doesn't exist anymore. They closed, you know? They closed because they were independent and they couldn't handle it. And like to, to minimize that is really, I think one of the very important things that we have to do nowadays. Um, but to have those independent venues, and I'm, we're gonna circle the wagons back here, to have the independent venues like the Back Room or the Triple Rock or the Empty Bottle in Chicago to play as you're starting out, as your band is starting out, that's the most important part of a music scene, really, because until you get to a certain point, AEG won't touch you, you know? And how are you gonna get to that certain point until <laughs> that happens? You have to play independent venues. So I'm very pro-independent pro music scene, um, and I'm very happy to be working for the Pabst Theater Group in a way that's meaningful in a way that's sort of designing like our future as a company playing those backroom shows with those backroom artists at, you know is sort of how you decide like that's that's where the future of rock indie country bluegrass metal comedy um the future of the future of everything passes through your smaller rooms first. That's right. Yeah. You're that's such a um crucial thing you just said and something that, you know, I I'm I'm just I'm really glad that you're so invested in that ethic. And um and yeah, like we want to uplift Milwaukee as not just, you know, a city known for it's beer and dairy and sausage and, you know, like. Although those things aren't bad. All those things are great. Yes, of course. Um, they're, they're coffee at the best place, of course, in the historic Pabst District, you know. Yeah. But, right, absolutely. But, but most also, you know, as a com when it comes to the industry that you're invested in, that I... And 
personally invested in. Like, we want Milwaukee uplifted as a music city too, one that people right. will return to and embrace as a city to see live music in, in a multitude of venues, in comfortable spaces, in inclusive spaces, and that um, champion their local scene as well. Yeah. Um, in addition to you know the, right. the, the more high-profile artists that come through yeah. here, and we, uh, I'm going to tell you right now that the Paps Theater Group, um, the amount of people that come in from out of town to see a show, and the people that I've talked to over the years to see those shows, yeah, is crazy. I mean, you're talking about somebody coming in from Chicago, right? to see a show like Humphreys at the Riverside yeah. or whatever. Um, and coming in and being like, wow, it was a $30 ticket tonight. You know, nothing crazy, 35 with fees. And we stayed overnight in a hotel downtown that's like a hundred bucks. And the beer at the venue is 450 for like, yeah. a, like a high life or whatever. Yeah. And the people that work there are like, we understand that like, this is your release. This is your, you are, you are having your, your, the time of your life. Yeah. We want to match that energy with the way that we staff the show. Do you have people there that are like as excited as the consumer of the show working the show is crucial to having wrapping up the whole experience in a big fat bow. Because, and I'm not going to like name names by any means, but there's been shows that I've been to at different places over the, t over years that I've felt like a, like, um, you know, those old videos of the Chicago stockyards where they're just herding cattle onto boxcars to yeah. like have their heads chopped off and turned into beef. Yes. There's been various places around the country that I've seen shows or played shows that they've treated their audience like that. Yeah. And that should never be the, like, right. you should never just view your audiences and guests that come here for, you know, memorable and positive emotional experiences. You should never be just treating them just like, you know, commodities and right. custom, yeah. like, you know, uh, to operationalize that. And that's really what I do at the theater group is to operationalize that sentiment and that feeling is, is hard to do when you're talking about having 2,400 people in the building, right? At a certain point, it's hard to give that personal touch. But from and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference this thing that we did for Seinfeld this, Jan, this past January. Seinfeld required, like, you know, some heavy, like, pat-downs and metal detection and whatever. You know, Seinfeld was a top-heavy ticket price. It was January 24th. It was cold, and it was two shows. It was, there was a 7 p.m. show and a 10 p.m. show. And to operationalize the, the audience... Um, the audience uh, engagement for that is like you have to follow Seinfeld's rules 
Seinfeld allows an hour door time. So from seven to eight was the doors for the show. At eight o'clock, if you didn't have 2,400 people in the building seated with a drink, he's gonna go on anyway. Yeah. He's going on anyway. And then to turn the theater around and to have that same hour happen from you know, 9.30 to 10.30 for the later show is a hard, a hard feat. But we were like, okay, so we have three, three different huge exits from the building. We got the first audience out of 2,400 people, mostly older people, yeah. in 12 minutes. Everyone was out, like out. And we weren't, we weren't rushing them. We were just like, thanks for coming. We do have a second show coming, but thank you for having the, having a first, a great time at the first show, right? Meanwhile, I got people out in work in the line for the second show, starting with complimentary coffee and hot chocolate, cause it's cold. Yeah, it's solid. Right? So you're so you're handing out hot chocolate to to the people that are waiting in line as the first audience exits, right? The second audience is already feeling special and they haven't even set foot in the building yet. Yeah. And the first audience feels special because they just saw that show and we're not yelling at them to get the hell out. Oh yeah. We're literally being like, thanks for coming. It, I, I hope it was as funny as I thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, treating, you know, treating them like you're really recognizing that they came here for, you know, that. $30 ticket. Yeah. Price. Right. For an hour of Seinfeld. Yeah. That's, yeah, like that's, you know, that's something they had. To, it's a destination, you know, yeah. like they really planned this and had to, you know, put money and time and, and resources aside to, you know, to, to invest in this positive right. experience with, with Seinfeld. And uh, you're going to make it, you know, you're going to make it worthwhile for them in, in every ounce that, right. that you can. Um, and that's the same thing with like a widespread panic show, totally different crowd. Right. right. But the moment they step into not even the um, building, but the outdoor block party. Right, yeah. That we've shut the whole street down in front of the theater for. The moment they step foot into that outdoor block party, it's like you're interacting with, um, with them at a beer level. You're interacting with them at a security level. You're interacting with them as an event staff level. You're interacting with them as a, hey, to get this general admission seating, you have to line up here by this time, basically, to give them the, to give information. And then once they're in there, it's like, okay, now you have to keep people safe from each other and from themselves. And we, you know, operationalize that. I mean, like we have a contract with an ambulance company and in the worst case scenarios, we, are there within three minutes with like trained professionals to actually figure out what the hell is wrong with this person. And usually it's like, 
I fell down and cut my head open. And that sucks. And it really does suck. It does but, suck. But to have it be in a span of mere minutes to like get the attention that they require, you know, that's cool. That's what keeps the audience coming back. And so you're, you're really walking a tightrope between, yeah, sure, Seinfeld could play anywhere, right? But he chose Milwaukee. Widespread panic, they could play anywhere. But they choose Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the the back, the back of house people like hospitality world and production world, they are, they are doing the artist level like that's, they are there. That's their, their whole world that day is like Jerry Seinfeld. Their world that weekend is widespread panic. You had a juice world at the Riverside. Juice world. Yeah, dude. That was a show. show. They came in with bags of merch at 7.45 p.m. And I was like, you said you didn't have any merch. And they were like, well, we thought we didn't, but the guy that was in charge of our merch actually caught the Greyhound bus we put him on with all the merch. So here it is. And I'm like, okay, so you're either going to trust me that I have the right amount of money at the end of the night and we can sell all this merch. Or you can't sell it at all if you want to require like a count in, count out procedure. To toe the line, that's hard. It's so hard. And the juice world people were like, what? And initially they're like, well, there's no reason you can't count it in right now and then sell it. And I'm like, okay, it's one of the two because you guys showed up late. You know, you guys showed up and the doors were already open. There's no time. So you, so we sell your shit or we don't. But if we sell your shit, we're gonna hand you fat stacks of money at the end of the night. And you're just gonna have to trust us that we're not bullshitting you. Yeah. Or we're not gonna sell it because there's no time anymore. So to toe that kind of line and you know, Juice World uh, won't be coming back. That's a that's not good because he was he was talented, and his whole crew and production people were talented. He would have come back, yeah. for sure, because we ended up towing the line very well, yeah. and like, you know, stuff like that that happens for multiple different um, artists to to toe the line and be like, yo, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. I want to make it work. Like it happened again for for Boozy, Boozy Badass. Yeah. Like your merch guy showed up pretty late, and I have a space for him, but it's not in the lobby because there's a photo booth in the lobby, or whatever that people can pay money to get their picture taken with like the backdrops of little Boozy action going on and that's in the lobby now and you're going to have to be okay with the second floor or the basement yeah. to to toe the line and be like and by the way we'd love for you to come back because yeah. this has been fun yeah 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 like i yeah i mean you have to be prepared for those spontaneous um 
it's like terrible. calls of action. Yeah, it, it can be very anxiety-inducing and very yeah. frantic. And I know I don't work well in those situations. Yeah. Especially for folks that you do want to, you know, be hospitable towards and cater to their needs and be provisionary for them. Like, you all, you are also, you want to give them that um, incentive to return. Yeah. And because you're doing that, like, you know, outside of the box stuff for them, yeah. make yeah. it so they can work too. And we're doing it on the little level at the back room at Collectivo, right? We're doing it on a, a scaled down level where it's like, you know, anything that's not garbage pizza is awesome. But we're still doing it at a level that is like, we, we read your writer. And for the audience over there, they're, they're 300 of your best friends, yeah. you know? And you get to personally interact with each, with each one of them. Mm. At that level, you're personally interacting with each one of them. If, if you know, if the moment's right. Yeah. To then have that philosophy go up to the Riverside, where it's like, you can't personally interact with 2,400 people. But for the people that you can interact with, they view that interaction as an audience member, as somebody who's like, I respect you being here as much as you respect the place. And you're excited about the show. So I'm going to have my staff people be excited about this show too. Like we're all going to be excited about the same thing. Yeah. And to, to say, how you doing? Like, how are you doing? That's it. How you doing? And to be like, at the end of the night, Good night. See you again soon. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. When when the staff can enjoy the the experience of the show and the, the environment of the show and the people so affiliated in that show, when the staff can enjoy it as much as the audience can, yeah, that is one hell of a climate to to be yeah. a part of. And yeah. that is, I think that's the way all like you know venues should uh, aspire to be um yeah i do think that too. grant i i i know we're kind of running out of time here but i did have one more question sure. um and that is how can folks support the paps theater group right now in this these this time these times of uh clouded clarity yeah uh interesting question multiple ways um, number one, a, uh, a visit to the National Independent Venues Association's website mm. and just to peruse what that's going on over there and the efforts that include signing a petition or telling your local state senator or U.S. senator that you're interested in whatever bill is happening that includes funding for um, venues across the state or across the nation. That's, that's number one, really. Number one is um, going over to that website and being like, okay, there are multiple steps here. I could add my name on, I could email Tammy Baldwin or whatever. The, another great way to do it is to interact with the venues on like social media 
mm. be become a fan of like like click the like button right <laughs> and, yeah and then be and then be like receptive to whatever the hell is going on on the page like buy a ticket for the ghost tours yeah. you know or in the future buy a ticket to whatever other pivot that we have going on because um you know uh at the beginning of all this it was like these shows are all canceling left and right and bam 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 so fast and so quick and at the beginning of the time for us it was very important for us to be like hey i know your show's canceled right now and i know it'll come back at some point and it'd be really nice if we didn't have to issue you a refund <laughs> and if you'd like to just roll the ticket over to next year or whatever yeah um but nowadays it's like we're doing some other things that are pretty cool and you should be, a, we want to invite everyone to be a part of that. Another way to, to support independent venues is to uh, um, roll over your, whatever budgetary things that you do as a person to roll over your entertainment budget to a next year situation or a next two year situation or whatever. Roll over the, the money that you had sort of earmarked this year to be like, I'm going to go see some shows or I'm going to go somewhere and do it next year. And like when it does all end up coming back, you know, then you have the time and the energy and the resources to actually enjoy that. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah, that's that's a good, that's a really good point, you know, mm -hmm. planning for the, especially with the ambiguity and the unpredictability of the situations going on with, if you can, like, yeah, really it's, do. yeah, you can't just like be like, oh yeah, you know, I'll have enough money for this time because I'm going to be working again. Like, you don't know that, you know, most yeah. of the time and right. it's, it's, it is, it is necessary to think ahead about like, well, you know, I need to be prepared for like when, you know, things do start kind of reopening, when workplaces become more accessible, when shows and events become, you know, gradually get reintroduced, you know, I need to like have some kind of uh, something set aside for, so that I can partake in all of that because without the guests partaking in it, you know, we don't have good shows or we don't right. have good events and people don't come back then. And right. So, and, and the one other thing that you can do really is um, support the musician. That too. Just yeah. buy some, buy, buy a record, you know. I've been buying a lot of t-shirts lately. T-shirts. Um, Mary just bought a super sweet Trevor Hall package that was like the newest record that came out in September, plus a bumper sticker, plus like a book of his poetry, um, plus like this print of his lyric sheet that is all art. It's beautiful. So many artists are like out there being like, hey, my name's Justin Vernon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have this old school uh, artwork that uh, we produced a long time ago and I'd like to sell you it yeah. or 
or like experiences like um <clears throat> artists are out there doing like online stuff like you can buy like you can almost like buy a private tour with whatever through whoever through like their studio or their their home life or their whatever they want to show you yeah you can do that now yeah and, you know it's 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 hard to sometimes shell out the money for that and some people are doing it for free like for example tuesday nights fish plays a webcast that's totally free on youtube and that's you fun. still get down with fish but they also have this package that you can buy that includes a t-shirt from that night whatever that night was and like a recipe uh that goes along so you can cook dinner at your house and then listen to fish well that's the, that is actually a really cool um that's a cool package yeah. one thing i would encourage people to do um just from hearing from musicians themselves is to stream them and support them on Bandcamp rather than yeah. strictly just spotify i mean yeah. I was, I mean, I'm still, you know, a, a Spotify user, but when the option, it, when there's the option to support an artist on Bandcamp where you can buy their music directly, give the artist money directly, buy their merch, name your price in some cases, like that's a great way to engage with artists directly. And uh, yeah. Never, you know, when you're looking back on like music history, for example, um, uh, um, Radioheads and Rainbows, right? Yeah. Released on Bandcamp. Yes, it was. Had a straight name your price situation. Like they released music as like a world leading band on Bandcamp for free. And yeah. you, you could pay for it or you didn't have to. And but they were like, hey, we want everyone to have access to this, you know, and who knew that was going to become so revolutionary. But right now is a time where everyone's turning online and everyone's turning in and doing things that are like, it's a pivot, you know, and to support the pivots. Right, as we're closing out here, um, tell me what keeps you up at night. Oh God, <laughs> Mary's cat Lotus. Um, shout out to Lotus. Yeah. Also, um, uh, uh, uncertainty. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of uncertainty going on in the world. Um, in in the fields that I choose to be in, like music, obviously, very uncertain. What's going to happen? Um, even in like coffee, very uncertain, um, when it comes to climate change, yep. what kind of coffee will be available in 30 years or 50 years or whatever, when a lot of this high altitude, um, like Ethiopian and, um, Kenyan and Southeast Asian coffee, um, uh, they find that it's too warm to grow coffee, even at these high altitudes. Like, what kind of coffee are we going to have? Who knows? Um, uncertainty in the political climate, obviously. No, you don't. You just have to look at the last three days of the news cycle to really understand, like, all right, 
last Tuesday, we had a debate where the one guy made fun of the other guy for not wearing a mask. Three days later, he's in the hospital as a sitting president in, in the hospital on a drug that clouds your reason and judgment because you're contracted the coronavirus. Yeah. Like how, how, how is that stable? It's not stable, you know? And to sort of be able to breathe through that and find your peace wherever you might be. And for me, it's um, surrounding myself with Mary. And for me, it's surrounding myself with my folks for the most part and friends and family and nature. Oh, yes. And um, taking runs. I love taking runs. I will run. And I will not think about anything except for how hard that is, yeah. you know, to, to push myself to a point where I don't have to think about any of that uncertainty anymore for 20 minutes even is like, you know, this is great. It's a breather. It's a fresh air. And to think, and to think that also, you know, things will be turn out all right. Yeah. Revolutionary optimism. Yeah. It's, uh, it's key. I mean, change, change is, uh, change is occurring. It's occurring crazy fast. We yeah. as a generation, a young people generation have, um, a really unique, uh, perspective and we have a really unique chance to really take the reins on what we want to see in the world for the next X number of years. And it could be local, you know, I want to see more diversity of background in these neighborhoods in this, in this beautiful city that is Milwaukee. Let's make it work. And I want to see people lifted up, but I don't want to see gentrification well. to a national level. Like, I don't, I want to get rid of the electoral college. <laughs> like, let's not do that anymore. Yeah, let's push for some ranked choice voting, maybe. I going to say, let's yeah. do that. I agree. And to have that be like a national, um, like a topic of national interest after certain people bring it up that are part of our generation of younger folks. Uh, 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 Ocasio-Cortez, for example. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. To have that be part of the national lexicon is uh, something that's like very encouraging. A force to be reckoned with. Yeah. You know, as we transition that presence of power into younger people. Yeah. Um, definitely. What puts you to sleep, though, Grant? <laughs> um, the, the realization that, like, you know, um, uh, there are, there are things out of my control and there's really any, nothing I can do except for control my own reaction. Yes. That's, um, that's yeah. a great, that, that is a great like succinct way to, of self-awareness, definitely. Yeah. I've been, I need to, I need to get a hold of myself really. Um, I have this problem where like, uh, 
um, the parts of my life that are different. I've had to get used to the parts of my life that are different now than they were. Yeah. And it's hard to give up a sense of control, for example. I mean, like, I was doing managerial stuff. Um, and now I'm uh, not. And that's okay for a, a long time. Like, I'm happy, right? But it's hard to, it's, it's, it's hard to control your own reaction when it comes to that kind of stuff. And you have to really sit down and meditate and think about it and be like, okay, I am who I am. I am defined by who I am, not what I do, and not really what other people think. Yeah. And to just sort of be be present in that in that space is is it's, it's hard. <laughs> yeah. And to be present in that space while other people go back to doing the things that they were doing, you know, like my brother, um, for example, never really got to stop working. He never had to like stop. Nothing ever came to a screeching halt for him. Yeah. And that's just because of the industry that he's in. I mean, he's in automotive engineering. So everyone already, everyone still needs a car, you know, and to have it's a blessing and a curse. He never had to really worry, but I think that I've grown because I've had to worry. Right? Same, same. I became a lot more responsible with my money. Like, I mean, obviously there's room for growth with that always when you're low income, but yeah, like I became less frivolous, I'd say. Um, and more thinking more long-term and not so impulsively. Right. Um, it yeah. also, you know, big time break from working for 16 hours every single day, like so needed. Yeah. Giving yourself room to breathe and to, you know, not, not view yourself by your, like, labor value but right. view yourself as like a unique and powerful individual that you know can that deserves happiness and deserves to you know be to work for your money's worth and to yeah. be taken care of and not yeah. be left behind by society like yeah yes shout out shout out to mary for real for um, putting in that in, that idea into perspective for me for yeah. not for me with me yeah. for the last uh, nine months or so where it's been like the whole world has changed right the whole world has changed our sense of normalcy will forever be uh, shifted as we know it and do you react negatively or do you react positively? And if you react negatively, why? And if you act, react positively, um, what have you learned about yourself? I, for example, love taking walks oh, yeah. with no destination. Same. I, for example, had no idea that I could cook so many things. Yes, that's a good, um, yeah. 
I found, yeah, for me, like I got my own place to live by myself now. I didn't know how much I needed that space. Yeah, that's the next step for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Grant, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you are a very layered individual with a lot to say. And I mean, you're just, you're interested and, and uh, like, you're, you're very like fascinated by good times and good people and fostering that sense of community. And I admire about, I admire that about you a lot. And I think that it's reflected in your work very amazingly. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you setting aside a time setting time aside this morning to, to chat with me about politics coffee uh the music coffee politics yeah yeah coffee politics the music <laughs> venues so music politics music milwaukee culture <laughs> milwaukee politics yeah right milwaukee's a really interesting place man uh it's weird you there's a lot of people out there that uh didn't that overlook it also, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Pete's Pops too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They make a really good popsicle. Great popsicle. Um, yeah, with uh, very, um, very intriguing flavors um, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, for everyone watching, uh, support your independent music venues. Um, I'll be posting links in general. Just what's that? Businesses. Oh yes, yes. Um, Check out the best place at the historic Pabst Brewery. Um, we'll be uh, posting a link to that as well. And uh, support the Pabst Theater Group. Um, they are instrumental in our music scene here, both on a local and national scale. So thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy, everybody. We'll see you next time.